in uh, chapter 12 of Romans. Now, we're, we're trying to go from chapter 5 all the way through chapter 15 to verse 7 of that 15th chapter because Paul is painting such a wonderful picture about the Christian life and about how we're supposed to conduct it and uh, what, what we have to do to facilitate that. That's the long and the short of the book of Revel uh, Romans. So here, though, I want to focus again, and, and we'll get back to chapter 6, uh, maybe this evening, but uh, I want to focus on chapter 12 and verse 1 and 2 again. Actually, we'll go through verse 3. Uh, every time that I look at this, and prayerfully, of course, the Holy Spirit brings more light on these things. And, uh, of course, that's just lacking them, isn't it? Uh, he said, I beseech you, and that is proskalao. It means uh, to call alongside, but it beseeches a word which means he's begging these people. He is, he is trying to make them understand, and us by virtue of, of this writing, to understand how important it, these things that he's about to say is. And he says, I beseech you therefore, and that is, th this therefore goes way far back behind chapter uh, 11, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, and 5. It goes all the way through that, and then he, he, he comes to this point, and he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, compassion is what that is, uh, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable uh, service. Spiritual worship actually is the word for reasonable service. Uh, it's uh, the priesthood that is, is uh, referenced in that word. And notice what he says, and be not conformed to this world. Now this word conformed is a word which can be described as pressing something into change. Uh, forcing something to take a different uh, uh, appearance. And the world and the world's way works that way. Pressure from the world of darkness is designed to take you out of God's will. That's, that's why the enemy brings the pressures of life to us. And if we don't know how to handle that pressure, what to do with it, then he will succeed. He will push you out of the center of God's will. Just enough that you'll miss your ultimate reason for being here. Uh, it's sort of like when they launch a, a rocket into space. It, that, those projectories have to be exact. Uh, you know, and I, I, I watched a movie a while back about some black ladies that was in NASA back in the 50s and 60s, which was a wonderful, wonderful movie. Uh, and those ladies were brilliant. And I didn't know, but they have to have the exact angle in coming back into the earth. There's a window uh, when they can come back into the earth. So in watching that, I discovered that if they're off just, I mean, just a, just a tiny bit here, then they can miss the whole planet where they're headed. See? And it's the same way with high-powered rifles. You know, you can, you can be off just a little bit here, but you can miss your target easily. And Paul is wanting us to hit the mark. See, mankind... When he fell from God, he had no other choice but to create his own way. Uh, after all, he was actually fulfilling the prophecy that the enemy gave to him. He said, you will be God's. Which means you will be in charge of your own life. You will be responsible for directing your future. And which he, he, he bore that out. But, uh, so... Mankind then stopped being able to hit the mark, you know, for God's righteousness, his, 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 uh, his rules, 
uh, his righteousness, the, 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 the tenets of righteousness, his standard of righteousness, mankind could no longer hit it. So for a long time they just gave up about it and they became so wicked by chapter 6 of Genesis. God was already planning, you know, the, the flood. Uh, we, we could get into that sometime, but it's a very interesting thing. But it, it put mankind in a position to where he could no longer hit his target. So what Jesus did, he came and died in our place, and he hit the target for us. So as long as we're in him, we can accomplish, and following him, of course, and walking by the Spirit, we can accomplish what he has set forth for us individually to do. See? But that is a prerequisite. Without a Spirit-led spirit walk, you can't. Because, you know, our natural mind gets in the way so much. And if we're not in the process of renewing our spiritual mind, then we're not going to know the will of God. So that's kind of what he's saying here in these first few passages. He said, don't be conformed. Don't be pressed into change. He said, but you be transformed. And it's the word metamorpho. How many of you remembers watching The Incredible Hulk on TV? Uh, he, he, he went through a metamorphosis. He, he got angry and changed. Many of us do. But, but, uh, but that, was, that was a good picture of what this word metamorpho means. And Paul is actually telling us in our conduct, in our behavior, let it be changed so much that people are going to say, my, you've changed. I know uh, when mom and dad came down to Lago, Florida to my, my wedding in 1974, February the 10th, a date that will live in infamy. <laughs> well, I had just gotten filled with the Holy Ghost. That was February 10th, so on, on, on uh, New Year's Eve of 1973, I got, filled with, I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. So I began praying in the Spirit a lot. So when Mom came, I mean, it had been since, I don't know, August of 73 since she had seen me and talked to me. She walked up to me and I began talking. She said, Jerry, you've changed. What's happened to you? I flat out told her. I've been filled with the Holy Ghost, bless God. It was in the Church of God, so we didn't. We back then we didn't even believe believe in using the term Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Ghost. Uh, but it changes you. Encountering God changes you. Experiencing God changes you for the good. The enemy wants to change us for the bad. And it basically depends on what, what we have our focus on, doesn't it? I mean, it's real tempting to get, get our focus on the problems of our nation right now, but it's not going to help us. It's not going to help our nation. We just need to pray and believe what we pray. So he says here then, be not conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And we've talked about that some. This is, this is the uh, fulcrum. You know what a fulcrum is? It's, it's like when some, you're balancing something on that. Uh, it, is, it, is the, it is the essence of all of what we're studying here. Mind renewal. And as I've told you before, Many, many preachers and pastors and teachers focus on renewing this natural mind. And it's non-renewable. I would say there's not a dozen preachers around the world that know that. They think that it's the natural mind that has to be. In fact, I, I, I uh, ran into a friend of mine, or I thought he was, in Home Depot uh, a couple years ago. And... Uh, He said, Jerry, what's God saying to you? I said that the natural mind can't be renewed. And he got mad. He just stormed off. <laughs> he said, what are we wasting our time then for? And so he didn't wait for me to explain what I meant. 
But now, that revelation came from the Holy Spirit. And I, I've, I've read it past other, other guys that, uh, that I know that believe that. So, I feel confident in that. We can get into that a little more later on. But he says, this is where your transformation, this is where your metamorphosis will come from, is your mind renewal. Now, hold your finger there and turn over a few pages. One of my favorite verses, I've, I've read it and quoted it to you for, I don't know, a hundred times, I guess, since I've been here. Verse 13 of Romans 8, it says, For if you live after the flesh, you'll die. But if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you'll live. See? Now, that is a paradigm there. People are, are trying to mortify, which means to bring to a standstill the bad deeds. You know, mortify, like mortar does to brick. It brings them to a standstill. And so, the method that Paul is coming against has been the law. The law saw the standard of righteousness of God and, and ordered man to do it, but mankind was incapable. But it didn't say well, since you can't keep it, then God, God, He'll lower His standard. No, He will not. Righteousness is His standard. That's what He expects out of us. Our spirit has been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So He expects us to start walking in that. So now this new way that Paul is talking about is uh, if you through the Spirit do bring those deeds to a standstill. It doesn't mean that you're not ever going to be tempted to do those again. A lot of people think that it's sinful just to be tempted. You'd be surprised what this preacher is tempted to do. I mean, I can't even tell you. How about you, Lona? Did he ever tempt you to do something bad? Hallelujah. Glory to God. Well, you're, you're better off than I am then. Me too. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to say this. This is a, a little out of, out of uh, our, our main theme here, but it kind of fits in that temptation begins with us. It doesn't begin with the devil. It's what we have participated in in our, in our growing up, in our life, that opens the door for certain temptations. I mean, I, I took uh, something to Teru the other day at her work, and I parked on the end where she parks at that Nita's insurance place. And as soon as I got out of the car, I got a whiff of some marijuana. Somebody had driven by probably in, in that day. And man, I mean, that desire came back, dear God, because I love that stuff. <laughs> I didn't see nothing wrong with it. But uh, so that temptation is there because I've participated in it before, see? So there's temptations that come to us, but that doesn't mean that it's sinful, you see. Now, Jesus was tempted, wasn't he? Yeah. But uh, he didn't sin. He was tempted in all points as we are. It didn't mean he was tempted with marijuana. <laughs> or stuff like that. He was tempted uh, on all level that mankind be In fact, I'll go ahead and say this that the temptations of Jesus were so dramatic and so deep that it would have driven most people to the brink of suicide. It wasn't just three or four little temptations like we read, you know, in the, in the Gospels here. It, it was on a much deeper level. It, it, was, it, it was so tormenting that unless he had been fasting in prayer, he couldn't have made it. In fact, you remember... Let's see, where is that... See these rabbit trails? I can't help them. Uh, see, where is that? Yeah, let's look here. Matthew 17. We'll, we'll just get a, give an object lesson here for what we're trying to, to say, uh, which goes along with our mind renewal. Verse 14 of Matthew 17 says, And when they were come to the multitude... There came to him, that is Jesus, a certain man. This means that it really happened. Kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he's a lunatic. <laughs> and sore vexed, 
For oftentimes he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to thy disciples and they could not cure him. Now you realize what that's saying? Jesus had already told them, Behold, I give you power over all the power of the enemy. And listed several things. He gave them, which is the word authority, over all of that. And this indicates that they tried to cast this devil out. And I've heard many teachers, I've heard teachers at Ramah say this. That that means that certain devils, you have to fast before they'll come out. And that always fit crossways with me. I, I just never was satisfied with that answer. In fact, I had an uncle one time married to my mother's sister. They're divorced now, but he believed that if he wanted somebody out of his church, he would just fast till they left. If he wanted problems ended in his life, he would just fast till they ended. And I, and I didn't, you know, I was what, 25 when he was telling me this, so I didn't. I hadn't studied that much about it. So I asked the Lord, I said, you know, why, why in the world? In fact, look at this. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. Now who was he talking to? The disciples. He was. O faithless and perverse generation. Well, you know they weren't born again. They couldn't have been because Jesus hadn't raised from the dead. They were still operating, functioning under the old covenant. Which is, which is fine. That's what they should have been doing. And Jesus rebuked the devil and he departed out of him. And the child was cured from that very hour. Then came the disciples to Jesus apart. Notice that, that word. They came to him secretly. He had already said too much publicly about them. So he said, they, they said, you know, we need to get him away so he can tell us why we couldn't. And you know what? The, the same reason they couldn't is the same reason we can't. And so when the Holy Spirit gives you revelation of this, you're done. You can do it then, see. And that's what excited me about studying this. It said, y'all ain't talking. Anytime you want to ask a question, just stop and talk. This thing will, this thing will record you. Ask a question or tell me to go back or shut up or something. <laughs> well, let's go on. You're explaining it pretty good. <laughs> I'm trying my best to. Oh, I'll say this. Okay. Um, before you say whatever, and I'll see if I'm even remote now, babe. I never thought it was because fasting was going to fix it. I always thought that verse meant that fasting, if you do it in the right way, draws you closer to God and will give you more power. And that they weren't close enough to God, that they had wandered somewhere. And the same with, I'll say me, is that I wander somewhere, mm -hmm. and I'm not as close to God as I should be, so I don't have the power that I should have. Mm -hmm. Y'all concur with that? Pretty much so. That sounds good, doesn't it? I mean, I'm, That's I'm exactly right. right. But I'm going to explain it a little differently. Okay. <laughs> so now Jesus says this. This is the first line. Now usually when Jesus says something, he goes on and explains it. So the first line here is the answer. He said, because of your unbelief. That's why you couldn't. So what helps us believe? How does faith come? Hearing. Hearing. That's right. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So, as they began to hear more and more, now notice this. He says, For verily I say unto you, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say to this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. How be it? And you can break that down. How does this work? How be it? This kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. Now, let's back up a little bit and see. He says, because the word for uh, is an exp explanation of the because of your unbelief statement. He says, because if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed. Now, that's not the size of. He didn't say if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, did he? He said, as a grain of mustard seed. Other passages, 
goes into more detail and tells us what a mustard seed does. It's planted and it grows to be such a big plant that even the birds of the air can lodge in its branches, see? Even though it comes from a tiny, tiny seed. See? It's the smallest seed, right? Well, no. It, it's really not, but back, maybe back then it was, I don't know, but uh, I know a tobacco seed is tiny, tiny, tiny. Uh, what, are other, what other kind of seeds are tiny? There's turnip one. seeds. Huh? Turnip seeds are itty bitty. Yeah, and, and there's one black one. I can't remember what it is. It looks like pepper. These seeds are so tiny they look like pepper. So what he's indicating here is not the size, but the nature of it. And so that nature is your faith has to grow when it's planted in the Word of God and watered with the Word of God and germinated by the Holy Spirit's revelation, and it grows, see. That's the trouble with listening to a teacher or a preacher only and not getting into it yourself because I can't really give you a revelation. I can tell you my revelation that I have here, but it won't work in your heart until it's quickened to you. I've gotten revelation from other men. Uh, Jan Butler, for example, he, he is a mentor of mine. And uh, there's things that he said, and I thought, my God, I've got to get into that. And I would just meditate and pray in the Spirit until the Holy Spirit uh, breathed life into me about that passage. See, a lot of times I pray in the Spirit while I'm reading the Bible. See, because that's, that's when the revelation will come the best way. If, you, if you're going over a portion. In fact, what he'll do many times is he'll say, go back over here. Read more of this. That's basically what he said about Romans 12. He said, you got to go back. And you got to go forward to find out what he's talking about here. Because Romans 12 is kind of the, the target. Romans 12.1. Be ye therefore transformed. That transformation is our target. That's what we're after. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna drop that term and use uh, mind renewal, a renewed mind. And so he goes on, he says, you're going you're gonna to be able to say whatever you can, and nothing will be impossible for you. How be it? How did this work? The reason he said that, it wasn't because they need to fast the demon out, because what does fasting do? Fasting moves you, it doesn't move God or the devil. Fasting gets you into a position of communion with God, like Tressie said, an intimate relationship with Him through His Word, and you begin to grow, and that's when you're going to say, get out of this man in Jesus' name, and it has to obey. I, I kind of think that the devil knows whether we have faith or not. I think when he hears us quote Scripture, that there's some, some essence about it that tells him whether we believe it or we don't believe it. We're just saying it. Because a lot of people get caught up in the confession part of the Word of God thinking that confessing it is all we go, well, I've confessed and confessed and confessed. Yeah, but did you believe and believe and believe? See, confession of the Word of God, and I know the pastor that's going to come here and minister, if you all vote on him and be pastor, he, he is well uh, into this uh, because of the school we went to. We went to the same school. But, but as we give ourselves over to Him in fasting and prayer and study and meditation, praying in the Spirit, the Lord builds that in us and empowers us with it. See? Is that clear? Did that bring a question? Need me to go over it again? Can you repeat it again? Because <laughs> there's something that I can catch. <laughs> Alright. This kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. Which is not the emphasis on moving God or the devil. The emphasis is moving you. Getting you into a position to where you can speak the word of God. See, confession is for you to start believing the word. The more you confess it, when you read it and when you say it and it goes into your ears and you begin to hear it, then it gets down into your spirit and anything that you say that's in your spirit, that's what we call believing with the heart. Oh. See? And th those are the only confessions that will work 
that will bring to pass those things that we desire. I mean, like, for example, by his stripes I am healed. We can confess that all the time, but unless we really get a revelation of that, it's like Dave Roberson one time, he said that uh, when he was early in his, in his ministry, he needed a bus, uh, you know, a, they wanted a Volkswagen van. And so they began petitioning the Lord for it, and confessing the Lord for a certain kind of vehicle. And uh, a friend of his, which worked with him in the, in the Logwoods, uh, you know, taught him about confession and all that. Well, Dave, praying in the Spirit so much and confessing the Word of God, finally, one day, it dawned on him that he had that van. So he went and told Earl, he said, Earl, I have a van. He said, glory to God. Uh, you know, I can, I believe with you. I believe. No, he said, I really have it. And it hadn't manifested yet. So it had manifested in his heart, see. Does that, does that make it clear about confession and just saying something? Right. Okay. I mean, you can get, I mean, I remember when I first got out of Rama and went back to Quincy, Florida to pioneer a new work. I mean, the confession message was all people talked about. I mean, you make a wrong confession, boy, that stop you. You better not say that. Listen, it's what you believe in your heart and say and doubt not in your heart you're going to have. It's not just because you say some off-the-cuff thing. Oh, claim, claim it. Huh? Claim it. Yeah, name it, claim it, hang it, and frame it. <laughs> or frame it and hang it. Yeah, and I mean, that's kind of the mentality back then. Although the confession <laughs> message has a, has a valid, valid point. You know, it's very valuable to us. But we need to believe what we're saying. Not just say it. And not run, run around correcting everybody about what they're saying wrong. I mean, my God. <laughs> if, 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 if it worked that way, I've got 10 million oil wells. You know. All right. So I think, I think we'll go back over here to Romans 12. That, that is the essence of what it takes for mind renewal is getting yourself in a position to receive from God. Okay, let's go back here. That's seven. Where are you at, Jerry? All right. Now, and we, we covered this a, a week or two ago, that, that you may prove out what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. And those are the stages. Going back to the mustard plant, going back to, let's look at the corn plant. Uh, how many of you can cook good corn? Got corn on the cob? Mm. I like fried corn on the cob. Y'all ever had that? No. Got fried in butter? My God, you all missed it. Mm. It's wonderful. Now, down in Zellwood, Florida, which is just below where we used to live, it's, it's between uh, where we lived in Orlando. Zell, they have annual, biannually, because there's two crops, the Zellwood Corn Festival. They have corn that long, and it's like they have taken honey and injected into each kernel. I mean, it is wonderful. And corn's not even good for you. It's a mucoid food. <laughs> It causes mucus in our body. We shouldn't even eat it. Yeah. But I like it. But now notice this, how this plant, how the Bible brought this out. That, And I know it's talking about a corn of wheat, not a, not a corn like we know it today. But it says, what, what happens first? The seed is planted. Then comes the blade, you know, up out of the ground. You know, and the stalk and the blade. Then comes the, the you know, the, the ear... And then comes the corn in the ear. Now what if you, you had a cornfield and your wife went out and was going to make some corn and she said, well, we're just going to eat the blade today. <laughs> Honey, you better put a lot of bacon grease on it because I don't think that would be good. You wouldn't eat the blade. You wouldn't even eat the corn that's not ripe yet, see. We would wait till the full corn in the ear would come. And that is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. See, It's good that people be born again. It's acceptable that they get filled with the Holy Ghost. Now, this analogy can work on several different levels. And then it's perfect when you are in His will doing what He's called you to do. And that's the object of this 
uh, chapter here. Uh, you know, the whole focal point of what Paul's been saying for the last several chapters. And then he gives the word for again in verse 3 in the laws of meditation. Learn to pay attention to those words because there's, there's certain words. You know, when, it, when a for is there, it really, I know it's a funny saying, but look, see what it's there for. Because it's explanatory. It's explanatory. I say to you through the grace given unto me. Now, what is he talking about grace there? Each of us have a grace. My calling is that of a, a, mostly a teacher. I, I can function as a pastor, but primarily a teacher. So and what I'm saying to you tonight, I'm speaking from that grace. See, that teaching grace. Paul's grace was that of an apostle. An apostle is one, primarily, that sees to it that the church foundation is built on solid ground. In other words, the doctrine is, is accurate. Uh, and it's his responsibility to root out bad doctrine, and sometimes people go with that. You know, we had that happen a year ago. Sometimes people leave when their little pet doctrine doesn't fit, see. So that's what Paul is saying here. And since he was the primary... Now listen, I mean, this is significant about Paul. Did you realize that Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, James, did their works were not published broadly until after the Pauline revelation? Paul was given the responsibility of completing the Word of God. Think about that. In fact, he said, I am, I am called to fill up of the sufferings of Christ. And he referenced his beatings. and I mean, he was beat to death one time, and they raised him from the dead. So Paul had a great, great responsibility, and he took, he took charge of it too. And these boys listened. I mean, he got in Peter's face one time. He said, I withstood Peter to his face. He said, what are you, what are you uh, eating with the Jews over here? You get with the Gentiles and eat with the Gentiles, and you're deceptive in what you're doing. Peter was caught with ham on his breath. <laughs> but uh, so Paul is speaking here he said I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think and what do you think that means Daisy what do you think that means that we're supposed to look at others and what, how important they are and what knowledge they have and not always to ourselves. Mm -hmm. Because we don't always know everything. That's true. You can, you can apply that, that definition. I think it means to not be arrogant and proud and that everything we should do, we should do for the glory of God, not the glory mm -hmm. of ourselves. That one will work too? Yes. But here, here is the, and, and not that those are wrong. Those, those are right responses. But here, here is the real uh, background of this statement. He says... You have a specific call of God. Don't start looking at somebody else's and covet that one. That would be thinking of yourself more highly than you ought to, and you'll get in trouble. And I know that. I've done that. When I was a young preacher in the Church of God, there was one of the greatest preachers I've ever heard in my life. He was general overseer of the Church of God. His name was Ray Hughes. And he would, when he would preach, his jaws would shake. And, and so, in that little Church of God church that I pastored when I was 22 years old, I would get up there and try to imitate him. I'd shake my jaws. I mean, it, and then I got into Kenneth Copeland. Then I began, you know, tried to be real smart aleck. Because when I first heard him out, I thought he was the most smart aleck man I've ever heard in my life. But what he said made all kinds of sins. His main thing back then was righteousness. I wish he'd have stayed with it. But, not that he's forsaken it, but he's gotten off in some other stuff. So, it's very easy for young preachers and teachers and people of God to want to emulate. And that's normal, to emulate others. Uh, it takes about seven years of consistent ministry to develop your own style. You know, I know, bless his heart, I, I know I'm not going to call his name because somebody might hear this, but uh, there was a man in my church down in uh, uh, Mount Dora, Florida, that uh, he got in to start hearing me do these uh, 
was exegeting the scriptures and the Greek meanings. And, and so he decided he wanted to be a teacher too. So I let him do it. Well, he got up there and he was just, that's all he was doing, just giving word definitions and stuff, you know. And, and it, it, you know, it was kind of funny, but then it was pitiful too. Because I know what he was doing. He was just trying to emulate me. And, and that's not what we're supposed to do. So that is the real bottom line of what Paul is saying. Not to think of yourself more highly. Because if you're trying to emulate someone, it's a given that you think they're higher. I mean, you're not going to want to emulate a, a hobo. <laughs> you know, somebody that's not successful. You're going to want to emulate somebody that is. Does that make sense to y'all? He said, but to think soberly, according, has notice this, as God hath dealt to every man uh, the measure of faith. I mean, he did say that. Every man has been given the measure of faith. You say, well, what is that? What do y'all think that is? It's okay to be not, not right or, I mean, you just about bull, bull-eyed, was it bullseye? Bullseye that while ago. So what do you think that is? Dealt to every man. Second Thessalonians three two is a reference for that. If you want to write that down. Well, I would say <clears throat> how much faith you have would be how much wisdom or how much you studied and how much you know. Uh-huh. It's yeah. given me the opportunity to have a lot, but I don't know have a... That's a good answer. Me, it's not measured. My measurement is not as much as yours because I haven't studied that much. Okay. Does it mean that everybody is given the same amount and you grow your faith. I could see that in there. Anybody else? This comes from hours of praying in tongues over some scripture. Now, what he's saying here, those are not wrong, but, but that's a different kind of faith than what he's talking about here. What he's done is, he has given, I wish I was close to my board, had a, to make a pie and cut it into different pieces, you take one of those, if those pieces are all equal, you take one out, one is missing, correct? So that would be, if it was in eight pieces, that would be one-eighth of a piece of pie. And every person, when they come together, make the whole pie. So each one of us is given the faith that it takes for our specific gifting and calling. And true, people like Lester Summerall has a huge, had a huge piece of that pie because what that man accomplished around the world is phenomenal. If you ever have an opportunity to, to study up on him and listen to some of his messages, I mean... He went into Billy Bed Prison in the Philippines because every doctor, every person was exhausted to get this woman free, this young woman, free from the devil. When a man would touch this woman, a huge bite mark would show up on her and bleed, show up on her skin because he was jealous. He did not want any man to touch her. And she was a harlot. So she was tormented. She would also, uh, doctors that had tried to medicate her, uh, she cursed them and they died. So Brother Lester Summerall was over there and it was early in his ministry there and he was asking the Lord how he could get his church to grow. And he said, well, I want you to go over that prison and cast that devil out of that woman. And he had heard about her. He said, Lord, you, you know what's going on. And he said, but I will. That's a long story. I won't belabor it. But he went over there and he cast that devil out of her. And hundreds of thousands of people came to his church. He had to get the soccer stadiums 
in order to meet him. Because the whole the whole country basically believed in God. Believed in Lester's God. So he had a lot I couldn't do that. I mean, at this point in my life, I could not do that. See. If I could, we'd have our church full here. See. The faith that I've been given right now is apparently just to teach this Bible. But and I don't want to make excuses. But anyway. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. We're all connected. See how he's building that concept? Having then gifts differing according to his grace, according to that measure of faith and the grace that of their office, their calling, that is given to us, whether if it's prophecy... Let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. I think we've probably seen some on YouTube that didn't prophesy according to the proportion of their faith. They prophesied what they wanted to happen. And they're embarrassed right now. They're still saying, it's not over yet. I was listening to Hank that... that uh, Kuhneman, is that his name? Yeah. Something like that. Uh, that you asked me to listen to. And, and uh, yeah, and he, you know, he's an upstanding man of God. I mean, he, he admits he's missed it before. But they're all saying, just just wait. God's not done. God's not done. And that's fine. I hope to God that is. Yes. But well, you, I believe that God's not done, but I don't believe it has anything to do with Trump. That's, that's highly possible. Because <clears throat> he's not limited to, to Donald Trump. Exactly. But, but can you see here, and I acknowledge that some people can prophesy not according to their faith. That's what he's saying here. Or ministry. That's serving and teaching and stuff. Let us wait on our ministering. Or he that teaches on teaching. Or he that exhorts on the exhortation. And uh, he that gives, let him do it with simplicity. He that rules, that's an organizing uh, call. And, and of course, uh, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Now, I want to ask this question to you since we've gotten down to verse 9 here. What do you think a renewed mind looks like? What do you think one looks like? I mean, if you, if you saw a person and they were supposedly, their mind was renewed, which I don't think anybody's totally is, but if, if what would it begin? How would their behavior change? Or what you know? What would that look like in their walk if their mind was renewed? Well, I just think uh, kind and gentle and yep. and uh, yep. all of the all of the above. Yeah, not bolsters. All right, now from verse nine all the way through to chapter 15. And I hope this this uh, eggs you on to look and read these things. I mean, I can go and break it down for you. I probably will next week. But all the way down to uh, verse 7 in the 15th chapter is a description of what a renewed mind is. How it conducts itself. It's self-explanatory. When I, when I received that, I wanted to shout all over the place because that outlines it. Let love be without dissimulation. That's hypocrisy. Abhor that which is evil. Cling to that which is good. Be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love. In honor, preferring one another. Not slothful in business. Fervent in spirit. Serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of the saints, given to hospitality, bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice, weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another, mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. In other words, don't be conceited. Low estate here is the word which means depressed. And condescend means you, you, you get right down there with them. You know, uh, you know I, 
I really wanted to get to the place here to give you that uh, disc profile, personality uh, test and all, but if you ever, ever can find it somewhere, take that. But my, mine is that of a, of a CS. It's a, it's a blend of the two letters, D-I-S-C. So it's a blend. Mine is an, a, a C, which, which uh, helps me in my teaching ministry because a C is organized in what he's called to do. He's very, very meticulous about things. Uh, and, and, and couldn't be in others. I'm not meticulous about picking up my drawers off the floor, you know. But when it comes to my work, I, you know, I pay attention to this. But, but the S side of me is perfect for counseling because you have empathy. You have compassion for people. And usually the first thing that comes out of someone uh, that is an S, a strong S, is, uh, I, I say sympathetic, there's other words that you can, but the first words usually be, it's okay, you're going to be okay. In a counseling situation, you're going to be okay. See? So that's what he's saying here, is, uh, you know, don't be conceited, you know, you, you condescend to people that are in that depressive state and, and help them out of that. So, so just those few verses there, see how he has, he has expanded what he just said about every man is dealt the measure of faith. Every man has a grace from God to carry out his or her calling. And if we'll, if we'll grow up into that and learn how, these things that, was, that I just read that are listed, and the list goes on all the way, as I said, through uh, chapter 15, verse 7. Uh, it's not just a list of do's and don'ts. Because that is doing what we're going to talk about later over in the 6th and 7th chapters. Uh, that, if you, if you use this as a list, it becomes a law to you. It's the written thing. And you're constantly looking at the writing to see if you're doing. And some people will get discouraged and aggravated and give up and then go off and sin and then repent and come back and say, let's try this again. But it, it's a vicious cycle because we've got to get out of that legal mentality of laws, rules, and regulations. See, a walk, a walk of the Spirit, when you're led by your Spirit in here, you don't need a list. It's automatic. The nature of your Spirit is the nature of God. And you automatically uh, love without hypocrisy. You don't put on like you're loving somebody. You really love them if you're walking by your spirit. See? So it's not something you have to try to do. You can't try to walk in the spirit. You allow it to gain ascendancy, and that is done through mind renewal. Your spirit mind, not your natural mind. And that means that when that's renewed, you have the revelation. See? The Holy Spirit makes it real to you. And you begin enjoying His presence. Enjoying spending time telling Him how much you love Him. Uh, not because you're punching a clock. It's easy to get into that. You know, as much as I talk about praying in tongues, it's easy, uh, you know, since since we had the, the tragedy the other day with our brother, you know, I've not. it's been real difficult for me to pray because I just haven't wanted to. Because I love Delmer Owens. Uh, and, it, and it really affected me in a bad way. That didn't have anything to do with our decision we made. I mean, even though my emotions were that I've let him down, I laid hands on the man in the hospital. Can you imagine how that makes me feel? But now, just take a lesson from that. Well, Brother Chumley did it, and it didn't work, so... But I'm telling you what, I, I was I was talking to the Lord about it, and He said, "Well, one thing about it is, if you never lay hands on somebody, they will never get healed." So He didn't divulge to me why it wasn't God's will for Him to die, but something there was there that didn't allow Him to receive. I, I just wish I'd had a word of knowledge about it. But see, let me get back to this, that because we're walking after our spirit, uh, we will accomplish all of these technical points about what 
walking in the Spirit is and about having a renewed mind. I mean, just if you will, between now and next week, read, the, read you know, from, from verse 9 all the way through to verse 7 of chapter 15. And really, maybe if you can, read it several times so that the Holy Spirit can begin to focus you on certain things in there. I mean, you know, he, he in, in chapter 13, he talks about how we're supposed to conduct ourselves with our government. Walking in, our, in the Spirit according to our government. Uh, he says, you know, that uh, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whoso, whoso therefore resists the power, the authorities, uh, resist the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves a judgment. It's prima. It's not damnation. It's judgment. In other words, you place yourself into a, a position of judgment. See? Now you say, well, are we supposed to judge? We're supposed to judge righteous judgment. That is using the Word of God and say, look, I mean, you have a brother in the church that is secretly carrying on an affair. You know that he's carrying on an affair with another woman or vice versa. I mean, you have the authority as a child of God, especially concerning your gifting and your, your grace that you have, to go to them and say, look, this is sinful. You are opening a door for the devil to take you out. And if you can recover, and good. If not, the Bible said, Jesus said, actually, he said, turn them over to the church. You know, if someone's in offense with you, go to them. If they won't hear you, you get two others, go to them. And the three of you try to convince him. If he won't hear you, Jesus said, turn him over to the church. That didn't mean, uh, it said, let him be as a heathen. That means you start praying for him just like he's lost. See? And those two that you bring with you, it's right in line with what Jesus said. If, t if, if two or three among you pray as touching anything, it will be done of my Father which is in heaven. So see, there's the intercessor group, you and the two that you brought. So the two that you bring with you better be spiritually mature. You, uh, you understand? Now, are the three of you supposed to go to that person? Yes. Okay. And try to recover. But now some people are very stubborn. I'm going to turn this off because I'm going to tell something and I don't want everybody to...